Assalamu alaikum everyone. Hope you guys are doing absolutely phenomenal. This is Yasin here and as always I'm joined with my good friend and co-host Sohail Muhammad. That is me. I'm here. Welcome everybody to another week. Awesome. So another episode of the Sohail and Yasin podcast. We are getting closer to hopefully finding a name. We're tentatively thinking of calling it the deep dive because we pretty much every episode go deep diving into some some concepts, so we're basically getting to deep topics and those kinds of things. So uh, we were throwing around some ideas back and forth, Sohail and I, before we started recording, about what it is that we wanted to talk about in today's podcast episode. And we had some topics that were extensions of the Taqwa podcast that we recorded last week. Now, I don't know how it was, I guess we could talk a little bit about this before we get into it, is I sent it to a, a number of my friends and close brothers and they really loved the last episode. Did you have anybody that had a chance to watch last episode or anything? Yeah, surprisingly, it took a lot of pushing, but after a while, one or two people did see it, and it was very, it was a very unique way of thinking in terms of like the way we've usually thought about things. So they really appreciated it. Sweet. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I, I definitely feel like uh, I got some traction in my circles with with that topic. And obviously, as we get better at dialing in the interest factor and the curiosity factor of these episodes, then I'm sure we'll start to get the dopamine effect of one, people wanting to listen to our podcast rather than us having to try and convince them to listen. <laughs> Beg to and plead. <laughs> yeah, please listen to this. It's going to help you. Um, but no, today, inshallah, we're going to really dive into a topic that Sohail and I were discussing over the weekend when we were just hanging out. And it was really more of a deen-oriented topic and really related to our own individual life goals. You know, Sohail was talking about how he wanted to maybe potentially go out and study deen and kind of what that looks like. So Sohail, do you want to kind of give him a premise of what, what it is that we're going to be talking about today? Yeah, sure. So uh, I guess the conversation kind of started where we were just talking about our general backgrounds with Islamic knowledge um, and more specifically on like what our specific goals are in learning as of right now. Um, and for me personally, I guess just to give some brief bra brief background about my own um, path, I guess, to Islam. Um, before moving to Texas, there wasn't really much in terms of Sunday schools or uh, classes that were available in like Boston and Connecticut. So I didn't really have much of an appreciation for like the finer details, um, except for my mom, who would obviously try to keep us on track, memorizing, uh, uh, reading whatever we can when it comes to Islamic knowledge. But the real shift happened when I moved here um, in the eighth grade. And I was, I jumped straight into the the tabligh uh, setting, that side of things. Um, so it, it really helped me in terms of the experiential part of Islam, um, of going out there, of being at the masjid a lot, of being around people who are trying to kind of better themselves. Um, and so I feel like from there, I kind of built that, inner level appreciation for Islam, but it wasn't really like actual step-by-step -step knowledge. Like I wasn't learning Aqidah, I wasn't learning Fiqh. It was more so just, this is Islam in its essence. And that's how I kind of started in the path towards um, where I am now. Um, but yeah, throughout high school, it was more so just that, going to the masjid. Anytime there was a class here or there, I would pick up whatever I could. Um, I tried Arabic for a bit, kind of dropped it. There was no real... It started out as my mom telling me to go, so I went, and then I did that for two semesters and then kind of dropped it, and obviously there was like Arabic with Husna on YouTube, me and my mom used to watch that a lot, um, so there was a lot of like jumping around in terms of whatever Islamic knowledge was available, just kind of go after it, learn it, with no real like reason to learn it other than this is our deen, this is what we should know, and I'll just learn it, right? Um and I, I guess before going forward, I just wanted to give you a chance for about your Islamic background leading up to where you are now. Um, no, that's that yeah, I, I, yeah, I appreciate it because I think just so you guys know, the audience is that what we're gonna about we're about to dive into is really discussing how much ilm is actually required for us as Muslims because the topic oftentimes comes up, especially with brothers and many times with sisters as well, where um, the, the conversation is related to, oh, I want to go out and study. I'm not sure if I should spend a year studying deen or should I go out and work and you know build my career? And so that's the topic that we're really going to press on today is what is the minimum requirement? What is the baseline that every Muslim should have? And when we were talking about it over the weekend, Sohail and I basically came to the conclusion that Unfortunately, most people don't define their baseline, and so it always becomes this north star that they're chasing and chasing and chasing, and they're like, okay, when is enough? And I have some very strong thoughts about that. So going back to what my background is for Dean specifically, and I don't think 
you and I so hell have ever maybe discussed it fully either uh, for each of each other. I think maybe the first time we I spoke. Just, but I just I just know you were a teacher at some point, and for me that requires a lot of background to get to that point. So I just assumed it was very heavy. Fair enough. Fair enough. I mean, so my background goes from I was around 13 years old, where I actually got introduced to my teacher, who at the time when he he was basically doing Quran classes in the masjid. Now my teacher was a very contrarian type of person. He's probably the reason why I have a lot of my uh, deep diving topics is because he wasn't an imam. He wasn't like a sheikh or anything like that. He was actually a PhD professor in mathematics, but he was also like a multimillionaire businessman. And then on top of that, he was like an alim, mashallah. And so the first time that I actually met him was my dad would attend his halaqa every single morning after Fajr. And so my dad woke me up. I'm a 13-year-old kid. And I, I get up and I go to this halaqa. And everybody in the halaqa is supposed to read Quran, like one ayah, one ayah, one ayah, right? And so I'm, in, I'm sitting in the halaqa. It's all going around in a circle. And then it gets down to my turn. And then the teacher goes, okay, go ahead, brother, go ahead, Yasin. And then, you know, me being a 13-year-old kid, I didn't want to be there right now. I was just like, I want to be asleep right now. It's 6 o'clock in the morning. Please just let me go back to sleep. I was like, <coughs> my throat today is not not doing the best. <laughs> I don't know if I can read. And then the teacher was like, don't worry, brother. The Quran shifa, inshallah, don't worry. Like, it'll give you. And I was like, oh, man, they got me. I had to recite Quran then. So that was like my first introduction to my teacher. Now, after that, we started building a relationship and it really came to the point where it kind of became like a suhba in the sense of, uh, not suhba in the sense of like, I know some brothers who are more of the, uh, the that, that area is like, you know, there's a suhba in that area, but suhba in the, in the literal word of it, like companionship. And so basically I would spend time where, you know, he would run his business. He would uh, teach at a college. He would have, he had mashallah, a lot of sons and daughters, but he would spend time with me like every day from 4 PM after school to like 11 PM like six, seven days a week, I was just spending with him, just like learning and those kinds of things. And his background is, mashallah, he actually finished his hifad and then he got his sanad for uh, Hafsan Asim when he was 14 years old. Then after that, he got sanad for all 10 qura'at after that. Then he memorized Sahih Bukhari and Sahih Muslim and he studied with like some really, really top level mashayikh. So I'm not sure if some of you might be familiar with uh, this Sheikh Umar al-Ashqar, rahmatullahi He actually was like the number one aqidah sheikh of our time, in my opinion. And FYI, my teacher was also Arab. So it's not, all of my mashayikh have been Arab. It's not like they were coming from like a Indo-Pakistani background. Uh, the other teacher that my that is a teacher of my teacher is, his name is Sheikh Tariq Abdul Hakim Abdul Sattar, Hafizahullah. He is actually on the Dabit committee of the Quran in Egypt. So every Quran that is printed has to go to a Dabit committee. And they have to approve all of the waqf and ibtidah. Waqf and ibtidah is the ilm of starting and stopping in the Quran. And so he's the one who, the teacher of my teacher, is on the committee that, that approves all of the starting and stops. Like you see the jim and the sila and the qilla and all that stuff in the Quran. He's on the committee that approves that, basically. Um, another one another one of my teachers was Sheikh Qurayim Rajah, Hafizahullah. He's actually the Sheikh Al-Qura in Syria. So he's actually the... Amongst the committee of all the mashayikh of a country, they usually appoint one sheikh who's like the sheikh of the sheikhs, basically. And his in Syria, his name is Sheikh Qarayim Rajih, or Hafizullah. He's actually still alive. So I just, but he's he's still alive, actually. But he's very old. And so he was also another uh, teacher of, of my teacher as well. And so my teacher comes from that background, and mashallah, him being Arab, specifically from Asham, I was able to spend a lot of time with him and pick up a lot of. Arabic, a lot of ilm, and so we would do things that were kind of unstructured, but also structured in the sense of going through ulum al-Quran, going through those things. And then for me, he was a big, big, big influence on making sure that it was deen and dunya balanced. So he was like, hey, I don't want you to memorize hifaz in two years. I would rather you spend six years doing hifaz, but you actually understand what it is that you're memorizing and you have more fahm of Quran. And so fahm is different than you have like, you have ikhlas, which is sincerity. Fahm means understanding. And he was very, very big on, okay, hey, you're not just going to become an alim or you're not just going to be somebody who is, you know, having the alim. But there's no reason you can't be an engineer, be a doctor, be a businessman, and also be an alim, also be a hafiz. And so for me, I studied, so every weekend we would have classes, well, throughout the week, um, I would be spending like six, seven hours a day with him. And then after being with him for two or three years, he started really pushing me to teach the students so that way he could have like a separate halaqa for the advanced students. And then all the beginner students would come to me basically. And when I say beginner students, it wasn't like kids. It was all like the elders of the masjid. And so every Saturday and Sunday after 
Fajr, I would basically have a halaqa, and I have YouTube videos of this that I've like privated right now, but it's literally like this dude who's, I was 15, 16 years old at the time, and like I would wake up and my hair was still like, like, you know, like when you have bedhead and stuff, and then it's me in this halaqa, and I'm like dropping hadith and dropping ayat, and I'm teaching this like community of like brothers who are like 40, 50 years old. And so I still look back at them like, man, that was like a more pure version of Yasin than, <laughs> than I am now who's gotten involved in business and money and all that stuff. But um, so I then I finished my hifa officially at the age of 21 years old. And that was like, and then obviously since then I've had a lot of students and kind of just teaching people from there. But I want to emphasize here, it's not me in any way, shape or form trying to flex on anybody. This is all bifadullahi subhanahu wa ta'ala. It's all because of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's fadl on me. And so I just thought I'd like to preface that because I know that sometimes when I talk about my history, people are like, oh, he's flexing or something. So I didn't mean to come off that way if it did come off that way. <laughs> no, I don't think so. I think it's good to have that <laughs> to, for people to know the background at least. So it's like, it kind of makes sense for where uh, I guess the next part of our conversation comes in. Um, so I guess with that brief background, like uh, just to add on, because I, I feel like I might have left out some things like for me personally, like when I got to college, um, it was again, it was just picking up classes here or there. There wasn't really a... The difference I see between us is that there was no consistent sheikh or teacher that I had growing up as somebody who I could kind of like go to for answers. And I feel like this is like common for a lot of kids our generation um, where there are all these classes that are offered and there might be one or two people at the masjid that we'll see and we kind of respect. Obviously, we respect, but there it's rare to find that connection, that like personal connection with somebody. Um, and I think just like you said about how balancing the deen and dunya was like the priority of your teacher um a lot of times that is hard to find in shiuch it's not that it isn't there but in terms of what we see accessible in our local masajid that's something that's kind of hard to come about so for me personally it was just like okay there's this class about the history of islam okay let me take that this semester okay there's this arabic class that i can try again attempt again oh let me try that um so there's a lot of jumping around and i guess there was no defined reason for why I was wanting to learn for me it was like okay I know I should know these things but it wasn't I didn't have an end goal of like okay there's a certain point where I feel like I'll have the confidence to say I know enough or like mm -hmm. I've gotten to the level where this is what I need to live a successful and happy and dean oriented life um and I guess we can we can kind of go into the specifics later on but uh, what what are your thoughts on like these baselines or these like these uh, goals that we should have? Yeah, I th I think so. I, now we're kind of diving into the topic that we wanted to talk about, which is okay. What is the baseline that we should have in terms of okay, we have enough ilm or we have enough understanding of Islam, and it's okay for me now to you know maybe do something else or focus on something else. So for me, I think if you break it down and you distill everything down to its fundamentals, right? We we anal analyze it from first principles. Uh, mindset is there are certain critical things for example you have to be able to understand what it is that is the meaning of every single word in salah for example right or you have to be able to and i, I think have we on this podcast told the adam story i think i've told you the adam story right my, my friend uh, adam i and, think you talked about it on your own podcast oh my own podcast yeah. okay so maybe this could be something we could share because i think this story pretty much for me i, I say it a lot and um sometimes i forget where I say it, but this story for me very much encapsulates the problem that we as Muslims have in today's world with ilm and understanding of ilm, which is that, so the background of the story is I had, I had a good friend of mine, his name is Adam, and I have no idea where he is nowadays, but wherever he is, inshallah, make dua for him inshallah. that he's safe and, and healthy, everybody, and uh, he gets ajjar every single time I tell the story, so inshallah, hope he's, hope he's doing well out there. So I had a friend of mine, he was, his, name was, his name was Adam, and he was actually a student of mine in college so when i was in college i had a number of students who were you know normally all my students are older than me so they were like uh, i was 18 and they're like 22 23 30 years old and so he was a little bit older than myself but i would teach like a tajweed halaqa in in school in in class and so then he really got into deen he really started to kind of really focus on um you know getting his tajweed proper and so one day he was hanging out at my house and this was at the time that with my teacher and i we were actually writing a Tajweed book. So we actually ended up publishing that book and that's a whole another story that we can talk about another point. Um, we have actually wrote, written the first textbook for Hafsan Asim in the English language, which is pretty cool in and of itself, but 
talk about it on a separate, <laughs> on a separate, on a separate note here. But at that time, what we were doing was every, almost every night I was going to my teacher's office and we would basically, uh, he had like an office where we go to his home or something like that. And he would basically talk to me about a concept in the Jweed or Quran, and then I would distill it down and write it down into the chapter so we could start publishing the book. And so that specific night, Adam was at my house and I was like, yo, Adam, do you know how to spell your name in Arabic? And he was like, uh, yeah, of course I do, Yasin. I'm like, okay, cool. So what he does is he proceeds to write his name. I give him a piece of paper and a pen. He writes his name and he writes down the letter, the number three. Then he writes uh, Dal, Alif, and then he writes Meme. Okay, so number three, Dal, Alif, Meme. And so I was like, cool. First off, the letter Ain is not written left to right. It's written right, right. like it's, a, it's not a, it's not a three. The letter Ain is written like the other way. It's like a, it's like a flipped three, right? That's number one. Number two, Adam, there is no Ain in your name. It's Alif, it's Hamza Alif, Dal Alif Mim, right? It's Adam, not Adam, right? And so uh, he was like, okay, like cool. Now I know the basics of how to write my name. I was like, cool. So that same night, we go to my to my teacher's home and he's he starts talking to us about a concept in Tajweed and he basically prefaces this concept by saying that hey guys this concept that I'm going to talk to you guys about today even the ulama of the Arabic language very few of them are familiar with this concept that I'm about to talk to you guys about today and this was sometimes you know my, my teacher who's he readily liked to be like on the forefront of everything so sometimes he would like to flex on like look we're studying this it's like you know really cool and so I was like okay cool like you know we'll learn about this concept in Tajweed that even the ulama of the Arabic language are not familiar with and then we're leaving my, my teacher's home. And then I'm like, yo, brother Adam, congratulations, my man. He's like, what? What do you mean? I was like, bro, congratulations. You now know something that even the ulama of the Arabic language don't know. But you didn't know more than two hours ago that there was no ayn in your name. At the, the letter ayn was flipped the other way around. And so for me, that story encapsulates this idea of for us as Muslims, we're always trying to push to like, oh, how can I learn this tafsir? How can I learn the fiqh and the madahib of this? And how can I learn all of this, 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 X, Y, Z? And yet, so many of us don't even know what is the difference between subhanahu rabbil azim and subhanahu rabbil ala. And so for me, I see like we are always obsessed with knowledge and we're like, okay, I want to learn knowledge, 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 knowledge. But the very basics is what we're missing. And so that's where, to go back to your question that you had originally asked me was, my, I, have, I have some very strong thoughts on what should be the fundamentals but then after the fundamentals, it's all just a matter of the biggest advice my teacher used to give me was the ilm in Islam is like an ocean and you should only take from the ocean that which is going to be applicable for you. Otherwise, you're literally going to be spending the rest of your life studying ilm and you're never going to actually do something for the ummah that's going to benefit the ummah. So that's that's a little bit of my take on it and I want to kind of get your thoughts on it as well. Okay. Yeah, I, that makes sense. I think I was always caught up in that mindset where it was just for the sake of, okay, this is required of, or I've heard it's necessary to know. So I'll go after it. And just by accessibility and what's available, I wouldn't really go out of my way of like, okay, finding a, a very discreet program to try and specifically go after one thing. Um, this week I've been doing a lot of like outlining my purpose when it comes to this, because we had a similar like conversation, like at the root of it last week, um, and it got me thinking about like, right now, I don't really have an outline of what I'm learning, um, Islamically. Like I have one class I'm enrolled in, um, general like Aqidah and just basics of Islam, um, at like the bare, bare minimum level, but I don't have an outline of like, okay, after this, what do I want to do? I've always told myself like, okay, at one point I might want to go to Zaytuna. At what point I might want to do the program in Turkey with Sheikh Mukhtar. Like there are all these like broad, very different things that I want to do. And for me, I, it just came down to, I think that the best way to actually get that knowledge and understand it is by like immersing yourself in that environment. Right. And for you, you had that suhba with your, with your teacher where over the course of many years, you were able to develop it piece by piece to the point where now you, you're at the point where you're doing what you said where it's picking up what will be more applicable to you on your week-to-week -week basis and what will actually help you right now, right? Um, whereas for me and I feel like for a lot of other kids my age, it's we didn't have that like solidified background or that mentor to help us through it. So now it's like, okay, I've done the... I don't want to say secular because we talked about that word, but we've done the dunya side of things where, okay, we're getting through college, college is about to end, at least for me. And 
now the decision is, okay, now do I start that journey of, should I find that mentor? Should I find that person to help me establish those baselines? Um, and I think that's the biggest question for me in terms of like, I, I think having those paradigm shifts and like changing the way you think about stuff, it's a lot easier and a lot more valuable if you are fully in that environment, which is why I'm like such a proponent for like, okay, I might just take out a year or two to just go to one of these programs. Um, but what do you think about like just the immersion in like a program versus like taking these classes piece by piece and just doing yeah. what applies to you? I think so just like anything in life, right? Whether you're trying to build a business, whether you're trying to you know, get married, whether you're trying to find a wife, whether you're trying to raise your children, you always have to reverse engineer from what it is that you want, right? I've talked about this on my own podcast many times. I've talked, I think I lose track of whether we've talked about this podcast or not, but they have to have the what, you have to have the why, you have to have the who, and then you have to work on the how and the when, right? There's three things that you are in control of, the three things that you have to decide, which is the what is it that I want? You have to have a clear mental image on what it is that you want to have. What does the end result look like? Why is it that I want that? And who do I need to become in order to make that a reality? And then you have to work on how is it actually going to happen, right? Whether or not I do it from uh, a course, whether or not I do it from uh, having a mentor, whether or not I do it from an immersion program, whatever that might be, the how is kind of sometimes not up to you because there's a lot of other factors on how, okay, I want to build a business that's going to be doing me $20,000 a month. In the beginning, you have no idea how you're going to do it. You just have to make the niya and proceed forward with it, right? In the same way, if you're trying to be like, okay, I want to have a wife who is da 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 you have no idea how you're going to meet her, right? Was that going to be from uh, Minder or uh, what is it? Other website, <laughs> shadi.com, or I don't know what, you know, you have no idea how it's going to come in from a referral, from your mom introducing you. You might bump into her on, you know, on your way to work. You have no idea how, but that's where the tawakkul comes in. And then the, when it's going to happen again, that's tawakkul because you have no idea when it's going to actually happen. And so nine times out of 10, the question that I would ask you is what is the outcome that you are looking for? Okay. Let's say you do study for a year, two years, three years. What does that look like for you in terms of who, like what and who does Sohail become to be able to say like, okay, this is what I got out of it. Because if you don't have a clear idea of that vision, then it just becomes a moving benchmark all the time because you're always going to feel like, oh, I don't know enough. I don't know enough. I don't know enough. And so being able to reverse engineer from the clarity of what it is that you want, if that makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. So bringing it back to you as an individual, your identity, and then moving outwards towards how that can be fulfilled through Islamic knowledge, I guess, or deen and pursuing that. Yeah, like what? Like you have to have an idea of what are you trying to aim for? Like, okay, so hey, let's say he get does, he does get a teacher, right, who's full-time and he's immersed in this program. Okay, he does it for a year. Well, I mean, let's have this conversation now. Like what, what are you looking for after that year? What do, you have, what do you want to have happen compared to where you are now? What does that difference look like for you? I think at a fundamental level, the one issue I always have with, not issue that I have, but one thing that I'm lacking and struggling in is shifting the way I think about Islam from like a phasic type of view where it's like sometimes I'm like fully focused and then sometimes I fully fall off and I kind of forget the things that are fundamental to like being a properly practicing Muslim. And the way I see it is like if I were to enroll into one of these programs, like these immersion programs, it would help me establish my fundamentals, my baseline to the point where these phases of being like very high Iman, very low Iman kind of thing, it would kind of average out at like the center and I'll be like, okay, now I have like a constant way of viewing the world around me and just seeing things and always bringing it back to Allah. And I guess it is possible to find that through like courses as long as you have that mindset, but I don't know. I think this view that I have is fundamentally just based on the fact that I think that if you're fully immersed in it, then you're forced to look at certain things that you wouldn't be doing on a day-to-day basis. Like, yeah, I don't know if that makes sense. Go ahead. You're good. No, it's just, uh, okay, I'll just, I'll just finish my train of thought. I think it's just like, like you said, like waking up at 6am going to Hith class, like these things that like, I wake up normally at like seven, eight, nine o'clock, whatever, right? There aren't, there isn't like an immediate like, okay, now I have to do this. There's no routine. Maybe that's it. Maybe it's just down to like, I don't have a routine set that brings me back to Allah, I guess. 
Yeah, so there's a couple that's that's a loaded it's a loaded what you just mm. dropped dropped there because there's a couple things on here and this is where for me for the longest time there's also a misunderstanding and the more what I understood what I'm about to explain right now the more I was able to make balance of all of this. So first and foremost, we should understand that this was a phenomenon that also happened with the Sahaba, right? Which was that they used to complain. So there was a Sahabi and, and uh, Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu Sayyidina Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu they were talking and they said don't you feel sometimes when we are with Rasulullah our iman level is so high that we feel like if there was a burden on our heads, we would be like, like we would be like, we're connected to Akhirah. We're just like the angels are with us. Like that's when we're with Rasulullah. When we are by ourselves, it's like I go play with my kids, I go do this, and it's like I'm in a completely different phase of what it is that I'm doing. And they were like, What's like something's wrong with us? Maybe we're maybe we're munafiqeen. Like maybe we're not people who are actually in the deen because we're not able to maintain this state that we're in throughout our day, right? And so then they asked Rasulullah and he said, No, that's completely normal. It's completely normal that you're gonna be having these different phases and the different states that you're gonna be in. Now, to take that into context. If it's going like, hey, when I'm sitting in halaqa, I'm like on cloud nine, and then when I'm like by myself, I'm like zero. That's a different story, right? So there's a balance in here. It's not to say like, hey, it's, what you're going through is exactly that story, but I just wanted to preface what I'm about to say and kind of talk about the rest of this in that context, which to some extent, there will be that fluctuation, and that is completely normal. I think many times when we listen to, to teachers through YouTube, through classes, through you know uh, people that we look up to in the deen, we assume that they don't have those fluctuations. When in reality, it's, it's, it is the standard. Like it's completely normal to have those fluctuations. And maybe this is one thing that me having that companionship with somebody who is in deen, who is an alim growing up, I was able to see those fluctuations like in real time. So it put into my brain that, okay, this is normal. Versus somebody who is not, who, did, who never went through that experience, they'll say, oh, I'm having these fluctuations. Something's wrong with me. Right? And it's like, no, nothing's wrong with you. It's just that that's completely normal. That's number one. Number two is that when you go into these more standard curriculums, right? If you were to go to a alim school or you go to a madrasa or you go to, you know, Turkey or you go to California for Zaytun or whatever it might be, those curriculums are structured in a very way that you go to college. It's like, okay, you have 101, class 101, class 102, class 103. You don't get to spend time with the teacher in his home and like go hang out with him because obviously they're running an organization or university. It's not like, you know, if you have 100 students, all the, all the students can't be crashing at, their, at the teacher's place every single night. And so when the teacher actually takes off, you know, his, his you know, uh, I don't want to say robe or thobe or whatever's going on here, is whenever he takes off his, his identity of being the teacher, that perception of being like, okay, I'm not in that state of teaching or being in that dean state anymore, that you is not exposed to the students. So you still end up with this wacky perspective like, oh, my teacher is amazing. Something's wrong with me because when I'm in class, I'm doing awesome. When I'm by myself, I'm not doing that great. That's number two. So number one is fluctuations are normal. Number two, even going to a school or a uh, university or a madrasa or something like that is not going to be the solution to the problem because you don't get the full exposure to the teacher to see his ahwal. Ahwal means states of being. His ahwal in different scenarios, right? That's why for me, alhamdulillah, I make dua for my teacher all the time because I saw him when he was doing business. I saw him when we were going to Walmart. I saw him when he was teaching halaqa. And I saw the fluctuations of the state. So I could see like, okay, what's normal and what's not normal. Okay, so that's number, that's one and two. Mm -hmm. Number three is I'm a big advocate on making habit and lifestyle changes within the context of your normal life. Meaning, it's very easy to change your identity and change your habits and change your lifestyle when you uproot everything that you are and you go into an environment where all of that exists, where everybody's waking up at 6 a.m. and doing uh, fajr and everybody's doing this, everybody's doing that, right? But when you make it, when it's void of your normal lifestyle, what ends up happening is you come back. It's almost like uh, like when people go to uh, jail. I don't know. This is a weird example, but I guess it's like when people go to jail, they're able to like have some lifestyle. But then when they come back out, they get caught up in the streets and the gangs and all this stuff again, right? Is because you almost have two different identities, and that's where you get this bipolar thing. Where I've seen people, my my own students at one point, as well as people in the community, where they went to madrasa, they became the typical like you know Molbi kind of uh, you know turban, big beard, everything, and then they come back and they're not able to maintain that identity, and so they end up having this bipolar where. In the masjid, they're like this person that everybody looks up to because they finished mufti school. And then they have, well, a girlfriend or they listen to music or something like that because the environment pulled them back in. And so for me, whenever I talk to my clients in business, whenever I talk to our health and wellness coaching business, I'm a very big proponent on making changes within the confines of what it is that you're going through right now. Because if you go to school for a year or university for a year and you're in that environment, 
And then you come back to your environment. Guess what? All those people waking up at 6 a.m. aren't there anymore. And you're going to be fighting your own demons again to be able to wake up at 6 a.m. And so you're back at square one, really. Except this time, there's all this expectation because now you have expectation on yourself. Like, oh, no, I did this entire program for two years. I should be better than this. Then everybody else is looking at you like, oh, he went to Mufti school. He still doesn't wake up for Fajr. Something's really wrong with him. And so you now have this expectation which kind of puts you down this spiral of judgment on yourself as well as external judgment on, oh, this guy should be better than he actually is, but he's still struggling. Mm -hmm. And so those are a couple... I just shared those. I have a lot of other thoughts. I'm very passionate about this topic, if you guys can't tell. But those are three thoughts that I just shared with you and kind of get your thoughts on. No, that alone kind of shattered the way I was thinking about it. Because, uh, for example, like Itikaf or just Gwain Jamaat, the, 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 the key part of that is just that you're in the environment, right? You're surrounded by people who are always like waking up, who are always like doing things that will inspire you to continue to be good. And then after it's over, you have this inner longing to still be there. Like you still want to be in that environment. But reality hits and you know it's true like you have to go back to your daily life and i guess the the delusion that i have in my head is like i want to always be in that environment like i always want to be in that but like it's not reality at some point you have to come back and kind of adjust to the way you live um so i like what you said about those two like high iman low iman kind of levels uh Sheikh Omar Suleiman like mentioned something similar where it's about when you are at those lows you have to make sure that those lows are still within the bounds of Islam like those lows aren't kind of letting you leave the faith I guess in in essence um so like monitoring those lows and making sure during your highs of like you're on track you don't let that get to your head to the point where you kind of just fall off at the end and I think that's something that I struggle with and maybe that just comes down to like again I'm kind of pushing aside this time in my life where it's like okay at that point when I do go out and I'm away from everything in the dunya and I'm like I have this focus then at that point I'll be able to instill this comfortableness with being a practicing Muslim in my environment right now when it should be the other way around and I should be maybe like you said choosing those classes and courses that'll help me ingrain those little pieces that'll keep me on track where I am now rather than kind of pushing it aside to like some external program that'll fix it all for me. Exactly. And that's, I think you hit it on the nail on the head, which is that when individuals are in pain, right, this is what we extrapolate for. Uh, we take advantage of this as salespeople and as business owners is that when somebody is in pain and they have a problem, they are much more likely to envision an illusion of, oh, if I just get this, it's going to solve my problem. Like, hey, if I just give this person $5,000 and I get access to this program and I spend a year studying Arabic, all of a sudden, all this pain that I'm in is going to disappear. But the real issue that you have right now is at the identity level. And let me kind of talk this about because I think this will be valuable for the audience is that the issue is that your standard. So what happens? So I don't know if, any guys, if anybody listening to this is familiar, but there are basically it's a, your entire Life is a standard. So everybody has an upper limit and a lower limit, and then they have their equilibrium. Okay. So, so here, what you're describing right now is an issue of standards. So the best example that I can give for this is let's talk about the hygiene standard. So hygiene standard, you have this standard where let's say you start to take a shower every single day. You actually take two showers a day. And then you also started to like, um, you know, like groom yourself every single morning you would hit this point at your standard where you'd be like, okay, I'm doing too much. I'm going to go back to like doing a little bit less. But then you get to a bottom standard where you're like, oh, I haven't taken a shower in two days. Dude, I can't even do anything right now until I got to get in the shower because I feel icky based on where I am right now. So normally what happens is that your brain is trying to get to equilibrium on this in between the highs and the lows, right? Same thing for income. This is what happens for people who are trying to start a business or having income. It's like they have a lower threshold where they can't make less than, let's say, I'll just give a hypothetical, $3,000 a month. But then when they make like $10,000 a month, they get comfortable. So they're like, oh, they go through this thing, like $10,000 a month. Okay, I'm, gonna, I'm comfortable now. I'm going to stop doing what I'm doing. They go down, 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 down. Then they get to like $3,000 a month. Like, oh, $3,000 a month. I got to go work harder. Then they go up and down, up and down. So the issue is not, you're always going to be going up and down. This is a fact of life as human beings. We're always going to be going up and down between our standards. The issue is not how can I be consistent at the top standard. It's how do I move this entire thermometer up? It's how do I move this entire thing up? How do I make my bottom standard the minimum of what it was that I want to be? So for me as a business owner, I'm like, okay, how do I make my bottom standard $50,000 or $100,000 a month in my business, right? Rather than trying to always lean on my standard of like, oh, I only need to make $5,000 a month because I'm a single guy and I don't need a lot of money to live off, right? And so it's how do you elevate your standards? Because everyone does not, and this is a quote, 
Everyone does not rise to the level of their hopes and dreams. You always fall to the level of your standards. You never, everybody's like, oh yeah, I'm gonna have this goal. I'm gonna have this, and I'm, don't worry, I'm gonna, I'm gonna live up to that. Nobody ever lives up to their hopes and dreams. They always fall to the level of their standards. And so the solution to every problem in life that you have is to elevate your standards so that your minimum, like I know people, like for me, for this is an issue that I had was when I was running my first business, we were doing like $300,000 a month in revenue. And then when I sold that business and I went down to basically just having $0 a month in revenue, I was like, something was wrong with my standard because I was like, bro, I can't like, if I'm not making at least 10, 20, 30, 40, $50,000 a month in revenue, something's wrong because my standard had been elevated, mm. right? Versus before I had a business, I was like, oh no, I can get around, I just need to make a thousand or two thousand dollars. And so the same thing has to go with your standard for everything in life, including your dean. So you make it like, hey, yes, my epitome of my top standard is maybe I do all my nawafil, I do all my fara'id, I do qiyamul like that's like the top, right? But you make your minimum baseline standard that you do not miss any salawat, period. And if you do miss a salawat, you're like, you're losing sleep over it. And that comes to an identity problem. Remember what, why, and who? That comes down to you have to reprogram your brain to reprogram your standard as to what is the minimum that you will accept from yourself as an individual. Interesting. Okay. Everything seems to come back to identity. Everything. <laughs> In any conversation. That's the base. That's the baseline of it. Hmm. I was... Maybe also, another yeah. example. You no, want to give me another it, example? Yeah. I can give you another example here that might be like, because you're, you're still a student and this might resonate with you a little bit more than the business example. I feel like it's, it's been so long that I've been in school. So I, I, I miss out on giving all the examples that are relevant to those who are still in school. It's kind of like if your standard as for yourself, the standard that you hold yourself to is like, I have to get an A in every single class. If you get a C or a B or something on a test, or let's say, no, let's say your standard is A and B because I don't want to, some people are like, oh. That's this might be a little too high. Let's just say your standard is A's and B's. And you get a C on a test or something. And you're looking at like, oh man, my grade in this class is going to be a C. Your blood starts to boil. Like you have difficulty sleeping at night. Your cortisol levels rise through the roof. Because what's happening is that you're having a violation in your standards. Versus there's other people out there who for them, C is their standard. Like getting a C in a, in a class is their standard. And so for them, they're like, oh, no problem. I'm just going to fall to the level of my standard. And so the key, what's the difference between you and that other person? It's just the identity that you're that you're marrying to the standard. And that's why even for us as business owners, like for myself, when I hire people, I'm always looking to hire people who their minimum standards are like very high. It's like for me, whenever I deal with my employees, they're like, asking your standards are so high. That's why I'm the CEO of an organization because I hold everyone to a higher standard. And so, because my identity is, is, is tied to that standard that I have. And so in the Dean, when you have that baseline for yourself, you have to set that standard, say, Hey, this is the minimum. I will not accept anything less from myself. If you do accept less from yourself, you just have to re re realize and remember that that's the old version 1.0 of myself that it's saying, Oh, it's okay not to live the standard. But if you remind yourself of that new standard long enough, eventually that will become your minimum and you will basically not be able to sleep if you violate and go underneath that standard. I see. So when you're when you're choosing when you're choosing like what specifically it is you want to learn or what you feel like it is applicable to your life to the point where it'll help you I guess the way to think about it is you're tr whatever you're trying to learn or embody or like become one with whatever you're trying to use that to help you raise that bottom bar in a way like you're trying to raise your standards overall through whatever it is you're learning is that too, is that too like specific of like a one person might think that another person might not, or is that like a, yeah. So I think this is a really good point. And, uh, I think let's, let's follow back now on the Dean conversation. Cause I feel like we, we went a little bit on a tangent here on the standards, which mm -hmm. I wanted to talk about because it kind of relates to this, mm -hmm. which is okay. Now let's talk about the Dean and the Ilm standards point of view. We all have to understand everyone listening to this episode right now is that the Sahaba did not have madahib, they did not have ilm al-aqidah, they did not have ilm al-Qur'an, they did not have ilm al-Hadith, they did not have ilm al-Sirah, they did not have any of these uloom that existed. The Sahaba didn't have that. And again, I don't remember if this podcast or some other podcast I've spoken about this, but I've mentioned many times on multiple different uh, publishing platforms that there are Sahaba that existed that we look up to in, to in, in, in today's world, we look up to those Sahaba who did not even know that reading Surah Al-Kahf on Friday was a thing. Like they didn't even know it like, existed. Like they knew Surah Al-Kahf was a surah maybe, but they didn't even know that there was ajr for reading Surah Al-Kahf on, on Fridays. There's Sahaba who existed that didn't even know that reading Salah, like two rak'ah after Salah gives you the reward of Hajj and Umrah if you read it in the masjid. 
which for some of us, you know, some of you guys might be familiar with this hadith. The Sahaba that existed that didn't even know like all of the things that we kind of take as our minimum, like, oh, if I'm not doing this, I'm failing. There's people, there's Sahaba that existed that didn't even know that was a thing. Because the, the deen and Islam that we live right now is a standardized, like, bureaucratic, it's kind of like an um, institutionalized version. Where we have this ilm that's kind of like, these are the kitab, the, the books of hadith, this is the ilm, ilm in here. And so for that reason, we keep putting ourselves like, oh, we need to learn this, this, and this, and this. So it's a matter of re-evaluating our standards to be able to say, okay, what is the minimum that I actually need? And let me make that my standard first. So number one, obviously, would be salah. Number two would be, let me see, okay, how much of the Qur'an and how much is my relationship with Qur'an? But more than anything else, your minimum standard should be, what is my relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in my day-to-day? -day? Like, how much am I remembering Him? How much am I keeping in, 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 in touch with my relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? And that goes to the taqwa concept that we talked about last time. How much am I being conscious of the fact that I'm just living in this game and I'm just like, you know, playing this game of life, basically. And so, irrespective of Arabic classes or aqidah classes or sira classes or... What's another, what's another, uh, what do you want to throw at me? Fiqh. Another, fiqh, they're all big, oh, I'm even fiqh, that's the biggest one that everybody goes down, especially fiqh. Fiqh is one of those things that you can go down infinitely, infinitely you can go down the ilm of fiqh, like really, really deep. But you really only like, like the amount of fiqh that you actually need is very, very little compared to how much is actually out there. And so being able to set yourself those baselines first and saying, okay, I'm going to meet myself to these baselines. Once this becomes my standard, then I might potentially look at increasing my standard or I'm okay with this is the minimum that I need in order to get to Jannah and be able to be a good Muslim. Now, how can I work on establishing my ummah and actually contributing to the world? Mm, okay. Yeah, the, the, the point about how the Sahaba didn't have access to all those pieces of information, it's, uh, I think I, I also said this in one of my own podcast thingies um that i was listening to i forgot who i was listening to i think oh it was the mufti mank um rerouted podcast and uh i believe the the host like teacher like he asked him about a book basically he, he asked his teacher about a book and he was like um what do you think about this like is this good for me to study um and his teacher told him that forget about the book revise your own notes revise what you already have taken notes on and that hit me. It's such a simple thing, but it hit me because I, I like look back on all these classes I've taken, all these like sources of knowledge and these teachers who have given me so much. But I'm always like my mindset is always like, OK, what's the next thing that I can add to this like list of things I've done? And it's not even like a conscious thing where I'm like, OK, I'm trying to have like all these courses under my belt where I can say like, OK, look, I've taken everything. But it's more of just like, a OK, I feel like at like some sort of level that I have an understanding of what I already have learned. And now that justifies me moving on to the next one and baselining myself. And like just a week or two after that, I like focused on just rereading the notes I've taken over the classes I took over the summer. And maybe it's like a biased thing of just like, I'm thinking it's more helpful, but for me, it felt more like that was what was helping me move forward on my day to day on like, this is what, applies now this is something that I, that I can like embody because a lot of times like when you're in class even like the day after when you review your notes you might feel like okay I kind of understand it I can embody it I can practically apply it but then like I'm reading some of these things that I wrote down and these are just like some of them are just like personal reflections and they're like okay I'm telling myself in the future like I want to do this this and this and I completely forget that that wasn't even like something that raced through my mind um so like rereading those things and like pulling back and thinking like have I even have I even like pulled this into my life was something that was huge for me because it just kind of baselined me in thinking like I don't need to continue learning all these different classes. I just need to embody what I already know or like what I've already learned. Um, and for me, that was a huge thing. Yeah, I think it's a knowledge addiction. That's what it is. It's literally an addiction to it's it's shiny object syndrome. I don't know. I, I I'm still surprised a lot of people don't know what that is because I use it a lot and I think feel like it's a it's a core tenant of the time we live in now, which is it's shiny object syndrome. That's literally what it is. It's the world that we live in today with the amount of information that we have, it has created an addiction, a dopamine hit of learning new things. Every time we learn something new, we get a dopamine hit. And it's happened to us so many times that every single one of us, Muslims and non-Muslims included, this is a phenomenon that's going on across, you know, everywhere, is that there's an addiction to the new and the shiny object that, oh, what it is that I have is not good enough. I want that new shiny object then, right? Mm -hmm. And that is exactly the opposite of the way that Islam was actually taught to the Sahaba and the way that we've been given Islam. 
Like we know, I mean, the Sahaba, they would only memorize 10 ayat at a time and then implement those ayat and then go ahead and memorize another 10 ayat. Mm. Versus now we're like, yo, six months hefud program, get me in. I want to make hefud in six months, right? It's like, yo, I want to do this. Like, it's become an addiction. That's what it is. It's an unhealthy addiction to new ilm. And it's being fed by all of these, like, unfortunately, a lot of the mashayikh and a lot of the ulama, they don't recognize that they're feeding into this as well. And they're creating this, like, oh, you have to learn this. You have to learn this. You have to learn this. In reality, Islam, like, if you had to learn all of this stuff in order to be a good Muslim, then we would all have issues because, like, we would have to study for six years in order to just basically be, like, Muslims. That's it. And obviously, Islam is not, that's not the way that Islam was revealed. Yeah, yeah. And it, it like even in psychology, like hedonic adaptation, like the whole concept of like as you get something, you'll now suddenly lose like the like the the thrill in it, and now it's like suddenly you want to go into the next one, and like it, it's it's easy to see that, especially with courses. Like you see a nice flyer, you see a nice like title, and it's like okay, this is something that'll help me. And then like for the first two weeks, you're like set on in it, taking notes all the time, and then slowly you phase out, and now you're like waiting for that next like like you said dopamine hit to just keep you going forward. Um, and I guess that just comes down to like the baseline again, like your standards, like you just, you have to find what fits your standards and what keeps you in line to yourself rather than those highs that'll just keep you up there for a momentary amount of time. Um, yeah, I think it comes down to the, maybe this, the central tenant skill, I think in today's time is the ability to prioritize and know what is relevant, what is not relevant. So I want to make this tactical for the audience right now because I think it's very valuable for you and I right now to dive into when you said, you know, that you took this class, there's some things that you wanted to implement. Maybe if off the top of your head, if you can remember, let's kind of talk about what are the things that came to your mind that you're like, yo, I want to implement this. Because what I find in myself, even when I was in the beginning stages of Ilm and studying Deen, I used to think that so many things were relevant and so many things were important, but having gone a little bit, you know, and I'm in no way, shape or form saying that I'm, you know, I'm, I'm still 27, but I've been studying Dean for close to, I mean, since I was 13, so 15 years plus 15 years now. And so during that time, I've come to realize what is actually important, what's not important, what is something that is nice to have versus what is critically important. And so if you can share some examples, because I'm really interested to dive into some of the things that you put pressure on yourself that you think like, I need to implement this. Okay. Uh, are we talking about like those things that are just outliers that like you'll be it for a little bit and then kind of fall off? Or are we talking about like even like fundamental things? Uh, let, let's talk about like, let's say you took a class, any class you've recently been taking or okay. that you are currently taking. Yeah. And then you're like, yo, this is something that I want to implement. And then you look back and you're like, oh, I didn't do it yet. Um, hmm. So, okay. Just to preface, none of this is meant to like knock on the program or none of it's meant to like knock on the value of that uh, class. Just don't mention any names. Just don't mention any names or where you took okay. it. Okay. Um, yeah. So generally there was this course where it was more about Dazki and Tasawuf, but it was on a very high level, a very non-practical way of thinking. Not, I don't want to say non-practical. I want to say it isn't something that would be easy to kind of apply to my life, but it's this high level kind of, kind of striving for that level of like it, and being fully immersed in the program where it's like, if I'm in a different environment, this would be my mindset all the time, but it wouldn't be easy for me to kind of put into, to where I am now, just because like I have other things to do. I can't always be focused on this. And so like at the time when I was like reviewing and like writing down notes, I was like, okay, I need to change. I need to like start, it was like, uh, it was a lot of like small things. It was like, I need to start waking up at this time. I need to start doing the hundred every single day. I need to start doing, um, like all, like something like as simple as doing all my noafil, like these things, which are beneficial not to knock on them. But for me, it wasn't practical at the time for me to write down. It wasn't something I could just jump to. So for me, that's like one example, I guess. I think when I think about it in that regard, it comes to my mind. There's something you guys can look into. It's called over-optimization syndrome. Okay. Over-optimization syndrome, what that is, is where you set a arbitrary and somewhat uh, perfectionist standard upon yourself and say, hey, if I'm not meeting this standard, then therefore I'm not doing enough that I need to be doing. So therefore it's not worth for me to do anything. So, and this is extremely common, especially with Dean, is because of the fact that in the more institutionalized, mainstream, structured version, the, you know, it's more of a ritual that we live in as Muslims now. It's like this deen has become, the mainstream version has become something that's like, you know, hey, this is the perfect version of Islam. Like you have tajud, then you have like suyam, you know, Mondays and Thursdays. Then you got, you know, this, you do your nawafil, do this. Then after you finish fajr, you pray fajr in the masjid. Then after that, well, first off, you wake up 
45, you know, an hour before Fajr, you pray to Hajjud. Then after you pray to Hajjud, you go to Fajr um, in the Masjid. And then you pray Sunnah in the Masjid. Then you pray Fajr. Then you stay in the Masjid for an hour until the sun rises. Then you pray your uh, Ishraq. Then after you get your Ishraq, you go home. You maybe you rest for a little while. Then you pray... Um, uh, there's there's sunnah before dhuhr then you got like you have this entire thing laid out right that's what i'm trying to say here the truth is you have to break that paradigm it's a matter of saying like there is no right or wrong here because allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave us the fara'id and what ends up happening is that what people try to do in today's time is they try to make everything else also fara'id and if you're only doing what is fara'id it's like as if you're doing wrong or you're doing something incorrectly which we almost have to break out as Muslims because that's not true. Like Allah subhanahu wa gave us the fara'id. And if you're hitting your fara'id, don't let anybody try to trick you and make you feel guilty or shameful or judgment for not doing something additional. It's like, oh, this, if you don't make tasbih after salah, this is, I think our parents might have also contributed to this. Like, oh, brother, you got to make sit down, make dua, tasbih. If you're not doing that, astaghfirullah, like something's wrong. But wait a second, like what if I got to go to work right after? What if I got to do this? And what's problem with our society is that we look down and we judge those who are not doing those things. When in reality, it's like, oh, you're giving 2.5% of your zakat? Bro, what's wrong? Sadaqah, sadaqah is very important. You know, shaitan wants you to give faqr, like he wants you to be poor. Allah subhanahu wants you to give sadaqah. So why are you giving only the minimum? The minimum, no, we got to achieve more. But no, Allah subhanahu gave us the fara'id as the minimum. There should be no... Expectation that if we don't do more than that That something's wrong with us So first off we have to break away from this Over-optimization syndrome because what ends up happening Is that we're trying to hold ourselves to this uh, This standard that's up here And we are like here and then we're like If I don't meet this then there's no point of me Even trying because there's no way that I can achieve this uh, This crazy standard up here mm -hmm. And we have to start creating a Conversation around the only standard You should hold yourself to is the standard That you set for yourself last week and so when I coach people, I coach them, okay, you want to pray Qiyamul Layl? Okay. In the last month, how many times have you prayed Qiyamul Layl? Never. Okay. So does it doesn't make sense, brother, that we should go from never praying Qiyamul Layl since Ramadan to doing Qiyamul Layl every single night? Maybe not. Okay, how about we try and just do Qiyamul Layl once a month? Actually, even before Qiyamul Layl, how about we first talk about when was the last time you prayed five salawat on point, on time with khushu' in the last month? Uh, no, I haven't done that. Okay, so how about we start with that first And then we can worry about Qiyamul Layl maybe later on Right? Mm -hmm. And so it's a matter of building based on your own track record And trying to go from step one to step two And trying to go from point A to point B Rather than trying to go from point A to point Z And then messing yourself up And then just reverting and not doing anything Yeah, yeah I At the surface level when I think about the way I'm thinking about it Just about wanting to like fully immerse It doesn't fully apply to that logic But then if I think about it it's more of like my standard in my head is that feeling I have in itikaf or like that feeling I have of being in around people on that like same mindset. And so anytime I'm like going about my day to day, I feel like everything I has to do has to be in line with that level of Islam, I guess. And anything under that, I kind of beat myself up for being like, I'm not even focusing. I'm not even doing things right. Um, and I think another like part that you mentioned just about before you even go to the hajjid, like is your salah even like, solid and uh, I think this is like something that's overlooked a lot not just because on the base level it's like okay are you praying five times a day before you get to your the hajra the shirak all that extra but even once you're praying five times a day there's still stuff you can be doing on those five times like khushu and like focus and understanding what you're saying in those movements where there's so much work you can do here before you even get that to like all the optional um practices that you technically could never even leave these five salah and you'd still be moving up in your iman in your understanding of islam and that's a i hadn't really thought about it that way here's here's the big ticket here i just i'm going to connect this now to taqwa anytime that the conversation the, the podcast we had last time anytime that you get into the mindset that when i achieve x this, this thing that is outside of me When I achieve more money When I achieve Itikaf mode When I'm in, constantly in that environment When I'm Then I will be enough That is your cue That is your trigger To remember that you have Automatically left The state of taqwa mm. Because There's there, There's no Like your contentment And happiness And your 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 fulfillment Comes in this exact moment It's never gonna come from Achieving something externally that was kind of the premise of what we spoke about last time. 
which is that if you have to achieve X, Y, Z in order to be enough, even within the concept of deen, I know in the last five episodes, we talked a lot more of like in the concept of business and dunya and that kind of stuff, but it applies especially to deen as well. If you have to achieve X, Y, Z in order for you to feel good about yourself that I'm a good enough Muslim, well, what happens then if you die today or you die tomorrow? Shouldn't we as Muslims, because we have the identity that we could die at any time, right? Shouldn't we as Muslims be figuring out, okay, how can we be in the perfect state that we are right now rather than trying to have to study for a year and then be, okay, I've achieved this hypothetical state. And this concept of like, I will be enough when I achieve X, that is a fickle, that is a mindset that has been indoctrinated from the mindset of consumerism and from capitalism and all that kind of stuff. And what it's done is it's poisoned into our deen now. And even unfortunately, our ulama and mashayikh are presenting this image like, oh, you are not enough now. You need to go out and do all of this in order for you to be enough. And so whenever you feel inadequate in the present moment, you should automatically remember that you've gotten caught up into life and that your your value to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and your value to like your value as a human being comes from that exact moment of connect like this exact moment of connecting yourself with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. I think that's a beautiful way to to tie it all in and really give perspective to how to go about Dang, okay. Yeah, this Here's, here, yeah. Here, let, yeah. Let, me, let me do this one. I got this one. So it doesn't matter. Let's say, for example, you missed all your salawat. You've been sinning your entire life. You've been doing all these things, right? And then this exact moment, you make taqwa, you get into the state of taqwa and you remember, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is there. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala can forgive my sins. I'm the abd of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And then the very next moment, you die. What is going to be better for you to have had that moment and make istighfar? Because we know Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is a ghafur rahim He's going to be the one who can forgive you no matter what happens, right? There's a hadith of the man who uh, who killed 99 people and then he went to the shaykh. We know the hadith, right? It's very popular. If you guys are not familiar with it, he killed 99 people. He went to the shaykh. He said, shaykh, is there, is there um, forgiveness for me? I've killed 99 people. The shaykh was in so distraught that this person was a murderer. He killed 99 people. He said, no, there's no... There's no forgiveness for you. He then killed the shaykh, so he killed 100 people. And then he was very sincere in his tawbah to the point where he said, I'm going to go to a certain land, I'm going to make tawbah to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And on the way to making tawbah to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he died. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala his sins. And you know, there's a whole hadith about this, a very long hadith. The point being is that there is no point that you need to achieve in order to be enough in, the, in I don't want to say in the eyes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because lillahi al-mathil al-a'la, but in the, it, what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is looking at is your qalb, he's looking, he's not looking at the eye in the Quran, he's not looking at your appearance, he's looking at your qalb. Uh, um, he's looking at your qulubuhum, he's looking at your qalb. He's basically looking at what is your inner state. And so it doesn't matter if you're not praying tahajjud right now, and unfortunately if you missed fajr this morning, it doesn't matter if you feel like you're the most sinful person in the world, it doesn't matter if you're the worst person in the world, there is no external solution that is going to raise you to the level of being getting into Jannah and getting the pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, it's all going to come internally. And you can have the forgiveness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in that exact moment. All you got to do is ground yourself and say, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, I know you're watching me. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, I'm seeking forgiveness from you. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, I want to become your slave. And you make that inner niyyah and that's it. Boom. If you die the next moment, now of course I'm not making judgment here, but Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, but khalas, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is rahim and you will be able to, uh, to you know, bi'ithnillah, inshallah, you go to Jannah because of that, because of the fact that you you submitted yourself to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, not seeking an external solution. Oh, I go to school, I go to i'tikaf, I hang out with these people, I do this. None of that external is ever going to solve that hole that you have in your heart. No money, no car, no nothing. It's going to come from inside and you being able to fulfill that from within you. I have to rethink everything I was <laughs> I was putting down for these purposes of why I want to do everything in my life because... No, that, that, that does give perspective to how it, 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 it makes you feel comfortable, I guess, in moving from day to day and not feeling like you have to wait for something to feel like you are a good Muslim or to feel like proud of yourself or proud of your deen. Um, and I think that's a, that's a beautiful way to wrap up the, the whole conversation yeah. and just everything we've talked about because that was, that's a thing piece right there. I think that was, that was a beautiful way go. to wrap it up. Bottom line, I'll just say is that whenever it's all consumerism, the reason that I'm, I'm in business, I run multiple businesses. The reason I know this is because what we what we try to take advantage of is people feeling inadequate for themselves. We make people feel inadequate, like, oh, you are not enough. You need my solution. Therefore, I'm going to sell you my solution. So you will be enough. Whenever anybody is trying to tell you you are not enough because you need X, Y, Z, it's basically they're trying to they're trying to take advantage of you because you will be enough. Like you don't have to buy even for weight loss. You don't have to buy some pills or something. Just eat less, move more. Like the solution is you. 
there's no external solution that you'll ever have. The solution is you go out there and absolutely crush it and just cultivate that inner state. Taqwa is the answer to all of life bang, on the personal. Bang. Get your Lambos. Get your Lambos, guys. <laughs> Get um, your Lambos. <laughs> and yeah, capitalism, consumerism, like romanticizing, all that stuff is something we could also talk about for another podcast because that's like a whole different whole different um, alleyway to go down. But Jazakallah um, Yasin for the beautiful putting all this in perspective um and yeah so that is episode number i'm gonna stop saying episode numbers because at some point we're gonna start forgetting you're gonna lose track so, of the uh, but yeah this is a the first attempt at using the title the deep dive with sohel and yasin we'll see how that rings we'll make a decision Absolutely. on if that's the actual name or not but um if you guys have any comments questions concerns about how this went if you have any feedback if there's anything that kind of sprung out to you or you felt either benefited you or maybe just was completely in the left completely side. Completely disagree field. completely disagree with what Sohel and I had to say yeah, about this. Yeah, please top. bash us. Please. <laughs> <laughs> we we accept criticism. Um Absolutely. but yeah, any other words? Yes. No, that's about it. I appreciate you guys hanging on with us inshallah on, on another episode of the deep dive as we go deep diving into some deep <laughs> topics, I guess. So catch you guys on the next one. Assalamualaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh.